And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day, particularly for Republicans, uh, because there are polls and prognostications, predictions all over the place about a great big red wave. A Democratic pollster named Doug Schoen, he's been a frequent guest on our show, he used to work for the Clintons. Uh, Doug Schoen uh, says, get ready for a big red wave, uh, bigger than people have expected, with Republicans winning, maybe even in places like Oregon for governor, and here in the state of Washington for the United States Senate with Tiffany Smiley, who's an excellent candidate. All kinds of possibilities of uh, huge Republican victories, maybe more than 35 or even 40 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. I personally don't think it'll be that high, but it's going to be a sound and convincing victory. And all of the polling by the New York Times, by the Washington Post, by uh, sources that are not Republican are saying that things have flipped around in the last couple of weeks. Part of it has to do with the abortion issue. Why? Well, because, as uh, pointed out by a special poll that appeared in National Review, people now are increasingly convinced that Democrats are more extreme on the abortion issue than Republicans. And that's true. When it uh, uh, looks at uh, the idea of which party is most extreme on abortion, people are convinced it's the Democrats, and people don't vote for extremes. And why are they convinced it's the Democrats? Because of some of the hysteria attached to the issue of abortion, which they thought would be the only issue that would work for them. Well, not so much. Uh, with all of this going on, uh, it's it's actually sad to see it, but the president is getting desperate and silly. The uh, announcement today that he was going to release uh, some more uh, from the some more petroleum from the National Petroleum Reserve, uh, he was going to uh, uh, reduce, uh, t take out, uh, it, it leaving 405 million barrels as of October 14th. That means that right now it's 50% of the maximum authorized storage capacity. President Trump was very big on trying to fill the storage capacity of the National Petroleum Reserve. And now uh, that uh, they're looking at this, this is uh, the way Biden announced the further release from the National Petroleum Reserve, which will almost surely have no major impact on the price of gas, which has started going up again and is harming the Democrats. Here's what the president has another 15 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, extending our previously announced release through the month of December. Independent analysis, uh, excuse me, independent analysts have confirmed that drawdowns on the reserve so far have played a big role in bringing down oil prices, bringing them down. So we're going to continue to responsibly use that national asset. Okay, uh, and then he was asked 
an obvious question. Is it a politically motivated coming? It is now less than three weeks before this very climactic, very significant election, an election that the Democrats are increasingly desperate about. Could it possibly be political? Listen to the question and the president's response, clip 13. What is your response to Republicans who say you are only doing this SPR release because, to help Democrats in the midterms? Where have they been the last four months? That's my response. Is it politically motivated, sir? This no, it's not. Three weeks before the midterms? Look, it makes sense. I've been doing this for how long now? It's not politically motivated at all. It's motivated to make sure that I continue to push on what I've been pushing on. And that is making sure there's enough oil that's being pumped by the companies so that we have the ability to be able to produce enough gas that we need here at home, oil we need here at home. Okay, the fact is there is a, um, a tremendous collection of statements by the president about trying to use less oil, about trying to produce less oil, about being less reliant on oil. Uh, you may remember that if, I believe it was his very first day in office, he canceled the Keystone Pipeline, which, no, it wouldn't have been a single solution, but it was part of the idea and part of sending a message suggesting that it's not as important to this administration as it was to the last administration to build up America as a petroleum powerhouse. I mean, this was one of the big successes of the Trump administration. You can't take that away from him. And how different President Trump was sounding about not drawing down the petroleum reserve, not drawing down what we had uh, for an emergency, but actually filling up our storage capacity. This was President Trump in March of 2020, not so long ago when he was still president of the United States, obviously. It's just a flashback at an event in the Rose Garden of the White House talking about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Listen, clip Based nine. on the price of oil, I've also instructed the Secretary of Energy to purchase, at a very good price, large quantities of crude oil for storage in the U.S. Strategic Reserve. We're going to fill it right up to the top, saving the American taxpayer billions and billions of dollars, helping our oil industry and making us even further toward that wonderful goal which we've achieved, which nobody thought was possible, of energy independence. It puts us in a position that's very strong and we're buying it at the right price. Okay, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre was asked uh, why Democrats blocked Trump from refilling the Strategic Petroleum Reserve when they're now looking uh, to do so at filling the petroleum reserve at more than double the price. Listen, this is Corrine Jean-Pierre. In 2020, when Congress was debating uh, funding for replenishing the SPR yeah. at a low price, Democrats blocked it, saying that it was a bailout for big oil. But now, President Biden so said I, today that it would be a, a good Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. You're talking about when uh, Donald Trump was trying to sell it at $20 uh, per, per, uh, per barrel to, yeah, to buy it. Look, it was a different time then. It was not the same situation that we are currently in. Okay. 
this is this is uh, truly bizarre right now, and uh, the attempt to try to uh, take away the recognition that everybody notices. And when you go out, you go for a drive, you see the gas prices. They're higher again. This is not popular. This is part of what is working against Democrats. Uh, we'll be speaking uh, moments from now to to Doug Schoen, who has written a, um, a big column looking at all the most recent polling. And again, there's lots of it from every point of view. And even... Some some suggestions as to why even these polls that are showing a Republican wave may be under-reporting that wave. Why is it? Well, it's basically because when they call people, it's uh, more than 99 out of 100 people that they call won't talk to pollsters. And most of it is today through major polling. It is done through uh, telephones, most of it with cell phones. Uh, we will also get to um, questions about anti-Semitism. Uh, Trump accused of anti-Semitism again. Kanye West, well, a little bit more problematic in that direction. And Bibi Netanyahu talking about the real anti-Semitism that worries him. We'll get to that and to much more on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776. The Michael Medved on the Michael Medved show, so what happened to the abortion issue? <laughs> I mean, isn't that a question? Given the fact that uh, that was what the Democrats wanted most to talk about, most to emphasize in their ads. It's uh, one of those things that also Biden in his desperation has promised that his first priority uh, assuming that the Democrats win uh, control of the House and win control of the Senate again, his first priority would be to pass a national piece of legislation that would uh, restructure Roe v. Wade. It would uh, go ahead and, and provide what Roe v. Wade provided, which is that up to the point of viability, uh, abortion under any circumstances, whenever you want it, doesn't matter. Now, again, that's an extreme position, and most Americans think so. Uh, U.S. voters uh, believe that the mainstream Democratic Party's position on abortion is, quote, more extreme than the mainstream Republican position by a nearly two-to-one margin, according to uh, a new survey from the polling firm WPA Intelligence. This is according to the National Review. The poll of 1,000 voters, which was conducted October 6th to 10th and provided exclusively to National Review, presented respondents with two options. Allowing abortions up until nine months of pregnancy for any reason or restricting abortions to only in cases of rape, uh, incest, and when the life of the mother is in danger. When asked which of those two was more extreme... 57% of respondents chose allowing abortions up till nine months of pregnancy for any reason, as opposed to just 29% who chose restricting abortions to only cases of rape, incest, and when the life of the mother is in danger. 14% said they were unsure which of the two positions is more extreme. What, what this is showing 
it seems to me very convincingly, is, uh, as they say in the National Review, the news survey may help explain at least in part that uh, the reason why the GOP's post-Dobbs political slump appears to be in the rearview mirror. When the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in June with the six Republican-appointed justices in agreement, conventional wisdom dictated that the abortion issue would be a millstone around the neck of Republicans running in competitive races in the midterms. But just a few months later, the GOP appears to be surging back to pre-summer levels of red wave momentum. Not long ago, President Biden and congressional Democrats were riding high. Matt Continetti wrote earlier this month, now it's autumn and there's a chill in the air and a change in the political temperature. Republicans, the polls suggest, have a path to a Senate majority. Uh, they are on track to take the House. The GOP has recovered from its summer swoon. Look, the, the Senate race for control because it comes down to individual races, many of which look very, very close. One of the races that people aren't paying any attention to. There are two races that are a puzzle to me, and they're a puzzle because... Um, they're states that are heavily Republican these days. Uh, Iowa is not a swing state anymore. It used to be a swing state. Trump helped to make Iowa a much more decisively Republican state. He won Iowa by large margins. And Iowa used to swing back and forth. It could go either way. Uh, right now in Iowa, uh, the, there's an Emerson poll, brand new poll, that shows that Charles Grassley, who's 89 years old, he would be the president pro tem of the Senate if the Republicans win. And partially because of age, he's running against a guy named Mike Franken, who's a Navy admiral, Democrat. And uh, according to polling there in Iowa, uh, you have uh, Chuck Grassley, who has been in the Senate forever. I mean, really, we're we're talking about the Pleistocene era, or the Jurassic. And uh, he's, I mean, he makes Joe Biden look young and vigorous and sharp as a tack. And he's a very good guy, Chuck Grassley, Senator Grassley. And uh, he's running three or four points ahead of his Democratic challenger, which for someone who has been elected so many times, that's surprising. Now, the other the other uh, polling that I looked at this morning that is. Uh, almost inexplicable. And by the way, if anybody knows about this, if anybody's out there in Oklahoma, Kevin Stitt, the governor of Oklahoma, who's a uh, strong conservative Republican governor, does not have any huge scandals against him or anything. He's very persuasive on the air. And he'd appear to be a popular governor. He's running behind a Democrat named Joy Hoffmeister, in uh, Oklahoma and uh, just a few points behind I think with the Republican wave he, he can still pick that out but this is one of those races and of course there are a lot on the other side as well we have uh, in Oregon and and we've talked about this right now Christine Drazen the Republican and Tina Kotek the very liberal uh, Democrat who's former speaker of the house in the Oregon legislature they are neck and neck, and the independent candidate, Betsy Johnson, 
uh, seems to be waning. She had gotten up to close to 20%. She's below that now. This could be the first time since 1982 that uh, Oregon has uh, elected a Republican governor. And it could be a dynamic Republican governor, because Christine Drazen is that, if uh, she wins and gets some national attention. But why didn't the abortion issue work? Well, it didn't work partially because this is the way that uh, Stacey Abrams, who is losing her race in Georgia, she is not running uh, behind uh, Brian Kemp in a landslide margin, but it's a solid margin. It's much more. She lost by 50,000 votes last time. She lost Georgia uh, by uh, far more votes, about uh, five times the number of votes that uh, President Trump lost Georgia in 2020. But Stacey Abrams is running for governor again. She never really conceded the first time when she lost by 55,000 votes. And now she's trying to blame babies for inflation and for high gas prices. Okay, really? Really? This is a, an unbelievable thing. Is that uh, ba the only way that you can help the American economy and stop the uh, ravages of inflation, which people consider to be the biggest issue we're facing, is to kill babies uh, or to prevent babies from ever coming into our world. It's a, 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 a truly bizarre point of view. And uh, plenty of them going around on the left right now as the left gets increasingly desperate. So what is that big red wave going to look like. We'll talk about that with Doug Schoen, who's just written about it for the Wall Street Journal, and uh, talk about anything that could happen that could turn things around again that Republicans should watch out for. We will get to that and to more coming up on the Medved Show. Michael Medved Show, always pleasure to uh, welcome back to the show Doug Schoen, uh, one of America's most astute and reliable pollsters, prognosticators, pundits. He uh, has worked all around the world as a political consultant and analyst and advisor, uh, really for people in a, a dozen countries, Doug, is that true? I think so, maybe 15 or so, but all over the world. From Asia to Latin America to the Middle East, I've worked in a variety of different cultures. Okay. And right now you're working right here at home in the United States of America, where once upon a time you were a top advisor to President Clinton, to New York City Mayor Mike Bloomberg. Now you're an advisor to the American people, and you have a bit of advice, which is brace yourself for a Republican wave. Uh, what's the new information that led you to this conclusion yeah. that well, uh, first, this was going to be a very decisive Republican victory? Sure. First, the polls are showing, as I'm sure you've seen, Michael, movement to the Republicans, uh, both in the individual Senate races and in the so-called generic vote, which party you prefer. That's number one. But 
let's let's be real simple about this. Inflation up, interest rates up, prices mm-hmm. at the gas station and the supermarket obviously <laughs> way up, and the stock market down. It's a recipe for disaster for the incumbent party. And uh, what about the magic abortion issue? How come that isn't working for Democrats the way that people expected it would? Well, first, there are not a group, there's not a large group of fervent, suburban, moderate Republican swing voters who will vote on that issue. And second, the economic issues that I just mentioned tend to be more important to people as they determine how they're going to vote than the right to abortion, which, after all, was not put at risk. It was just returned to the states where individual legislatures and governors uh, can and will adjudicate. Uh, I don't know if you've seen there's a piece that um, appeared today in National Review uh, about a new poll that they uh, that they did that said that Americans in general thought that Democrats were more extreme on the abortion issue than Republicans. That has something to do with just the stridency of the way Democrats express themselves on this issue, isn't it? Well, that's that's right. And what I tell people is that the formulation of my former boss, Bill Clinton, safe, legal and rare is about where the American people are on abortion. They they, they are pro-choice in the sense that they don't want to outlaw it, as we saw in Kansas, but they favor and support reasonable restrictions, time limits, waiting periods, parental notification, sonograms, letting your doctor know. They recognize that this is a serious procedure that requires thought, time, attention, and a great deal of care, and they're not, you know, a woman controls her own body, come what may. That just isn't where the country is. Okay, right now, uh, the Senate seems to be more in play than the House, and the conventional wisdom says that with three very close races, one in Nevada, uh, one in Georgia, and uh, one in Pennsylvania, that whichever side wins two out of those three will win Senate control. Do you think that's accurate? I think that is part of the story. Arizona is now in play. Uh, Blake Masters, like him or dislike him, is within two points of Mark Kelly. And having been out there, Michael, Mark Kelly is running away from the National Democratic Party, particularly on crime and immigration. And Blake Masters is doubling down on the Trump agenda. So Democratic Party ideology, to the extent there is one, is clearly in retreat. Okay, in terms of uh, clearly in retreat, where do you think uh, are going to be big surprises on either side? Uh, there are a lot of folks up here where I live in the state of Washington who are um, expecting and hoping that Tiffany Smiley is going to defeat Senator Patty Murray, who's going for her sixth term. Is that kind of thing uh, possibly going to happen elsewhere as well? Yeah, it's, it's a very fair question. One of the things that you remember, and certainly I do, is in 1980, 1994, and 2010, 
Those were what we call wave elections. And in wave elections, what happens is candidates who may well be behind in the polls can win, notwithstanding their deficit going into the election. If we get the kind of tie that I think could benefit the Republicans, somebody like Smiley could well win. Bullduck in New Hampshire potentially could win. And as I mentioned, Blake Masters in Arizona. And uh, and you're also thinking uh, Nevada that um, uh, that uh, Adam Laxalt is yeah. um, potentially going to do well there. I think he's 60, 65 percent likely to win. Do you uh, think I just noticed today there's a brand new uh, there uh, brand new Emerson poll that shows that uh, Chuck Grassley, who's running for I don't I don't even know what number term it is, but he's been there a long time. He's 89. Yeah. And uh, that uh, his opponent, who's an uh, admiral in the U.S. Navy, Admiral Mike Franken, is only four points away from Chuck Grassley. But given a Republican wave, that's not going to happen for the Democrats, is it? That's what I believe. I believe Grassley will be reelected, perhaps more narrowly, uh, in spite of his age, uh, just because Iowa voted, I think, by about eight or nine points for Trump last year. And it would be pretty hard with the tide moving as it is now for those results to be stood on their head. And for a Democrat, however good a candidate Franken might be, to uh, beat Grassley. And same goes, you think, for J.D. Vance uh, versus yeah, Tim exactly. Ryan in Ohio. Yeah, I mean, Vance has been a point or two ahead in most, but not all, the polls I've seen. But if Ohio stays plus eight Republican, there's no way Ryan, who's a very good candidate, uh, is going to beat him. Yeah, and... Uh... So what does this mean for the last two years of uh, Joe Biden's presidency? If the Republicans take the House, you're saying it could be by 40 seats uh, and the Senate by a couple of seats. What's that going to mean for the remainder of Joe Biden's term? It will mean two things. One, his agenda and the agenda of the Democratic left will be DOA, dead on arrival. And second... If the uh, Biden administration wants to get anything done, they're going to have to deal with Mitch McConnell or, and Kevin McCarthy. Otherwise, there will be a complete and total gridlock. And uh, do you think that it, it makes a uh, Biden second term bid even less likely? Absolutely. I think right now, as we sit here today, Michael, Biden thinks he's running for re-election. If the defeat that he faces is as substantial as I believe it to be, you will not see him on the ballot, would be my prediction, 2020. And I bet you have a prediction. You may not be talking about it too much, but maybe you'll give us a hint as to who would uh, replace Joe Biden as the standard bearer. I, I would have to say Kamala Harris is the most likely, even though... She is not a particularly good or uh, credible candidate. <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting because I know a lot of Republican um, strategists who think that uh, Kamala Harris would be even more beatable than Joe Biden. Could that be true? 
We'll get there <laughs> coming up on the Medved Show. Michael Medved show uh, we've talked about one of the reasons that so much of this polling is uh, now trending in a Republican direction is that the abortion issue has just not worked out to be the magic formula that uh, that Democrats assumed that it would be and I'm looking now at a um, uh, a, a front-page story from the New York Times. And can we agree that the New York Times is not Republican propaganda, okay? That the New York Times is often Democratic propaganda, but it's never Republican propaganda. But this reads like it because they just did a very major new poll that is dramatic. And the the key to using the abortion issue was supposed to be swaying uh, Democratic women, uh, swaying women to come out in the polls, particularly suburban women, uh, women with a uh, strong education. Uh, they were going to go Democratic by very, very big margins. And even though men would vote more Republican, well, okay, here's, here's the poll, and it's, it's just astonishing. The, uh, they asked this question, which party's candidate are you more likely to vote for in this year's election for Congress? Pretty straightforward question. Okay, my answer is, uh, in, in which party's candidate are you more likely to vote for in this year's election for Congress? And uh, I, my answer is Republican. Uh, even even though there are some Democratic uh Congress members who I think play a a significant and positive role who are uh, worth returning. But generally, this country would benefit enormously with a Republican victory, it seems to me, in these congressional elections. But um, among likely voters, and these are people who say, yes, yes, we're planning to vote, it's now 49 Republican 45 percent Democratic and uh, and a few percent uh, third parties, somebody else, uh, or they haven't decided yet. But 49 to 45 is the biggest margin they've had for Republicans so far. But here's the killer. I mean, it's just a killer and it's shocking, shocking, shocking. Uh, men, uh, by gender, it's 50 to 45. Men are Republican. So a five-point lead among men. And what about that big lead among women? For Democrats, the abortion issue and all of that, it's not there. Women absolutely tied, 47%, 47%. This is a uh, Siena College, New York Times poll of 792 likely voters. It's uh, stunning, and it also shows that Hispanic voters, 
It's not quite as much as some Republicans had hoped for, but 34% of Hispanic voters going Republican. And uh, the the huge margins that the Democrats had counted on and, and actually received from women, from young people, voters aged 18 to 29, the uh, Republicans are getting 40% there, which is much better than they did in 2020. And... This is um, a partially a reflection of the fact that people like Stacey Abrams are representing the Democratic Party. Here is what she had to say about why abortion is co connected, she believes, with prosperity. In other words, <laughs> she, she is making the argument that the way to prosperity is to have less children to allow less children to survive their pregnancies. Uh, listen to Stacey Abrams, clip one. While abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with? But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are, it's important for us to have both and conversations. We don't have the luxury of reducing it or separating them out. In other words, the the best way to to deal with affordability with helping the household budget is to avoid having children. And uh, I, again, it's an outrageous point of view. And uh, by the way, there's also a good question that was placed by Wolf Blitzer from CNN, and he was asking Karine uh, Jean Pierre the White House press secretary, about Biden's pledge to fight for a new federal legislation that would reestablish Roe, that would basically reestablish across the country a, uh, a right uh, to abortion uh, under any circumstances, basically up to the point of viability. So... Uh, up to at least uh, 20 weeks, something like that. And that's what Biden is promising to do. And uh, here's uh, Wolf Blitzer's question. This is clip three. For President Biden to make good on his pledge to codify Roe, Democrats would have to keep the House majority, pick up Senate seats, and eventually change the filibuster rule as well. That's a very tall order. Is the president setting himself up potentially for failure? So I'll say this, um, uh, Wolf, and thank you so much for having me. Look, I can't get into politics or talk about elections. You know that uh, because of the Hatch Act. So I'm going to be very careful here in what I say as I'm st standing right in front of the White House here. Look, what you heard from the president is his continuous fight uh, to fight for millions of women across the country. When we saw what th the Supreme Court did in this unconscionable decision to overturn Roe, it put millions of women's lives at risk. Millions of women's lives at risk. Uh, the st statistics uh, at any time before Roe 
Were there millions of women who died seeking abortions? No, there were some. But millions is such a grotesque overstatement. And, of course, she, she ducks the very real question. Is he setting himself up for failure? And, uh, and, and then again, you have this lack of attention trying to suggest that, okay, what, what we're going to do is we're going to solve the problem of inflation by lowering gas prices, by releasing a, a few million barrels of petroleum uh, from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Well, it's nonsense. That's not going to happen. And, uh, and then, I, again, the Inflation Reduction Act. The Inflation Reduction Act was not about reducing inflation. And giving it that title has made it very clear that it's a complete failure and a fraud. Uh, because inflation has not been reduced, has it? There's a question for Kamala Harris about that. And listen to the vice president. This is clip four. What are some parts of the Inflation Reduction Act, this, this amazing new law that you are most excited about? So, I mean, so much. So I'm, I'm, one of the things that I'm very excited about is what we have been doing in terms of electric vehicles. Um, and I, I have a particular fondness, I must tell you, for electric school buses. I love electric school buses. <laughs> I really do. And we're manufacturing them in our country. I've been to the manufacturing plants. I've, I've been on these electric school buses. And think about it. Aside from the pandemic, on a daily basis, 25 million children in our country every day go to school on those diesel-fueled school buses. And hundreds, thousands of school bus drivers are driving those buses, which are then these people, these children, these adults, are inhaling what is toxic air. Uh-huh. Um, and that's going to stop with the electric school buses. And the question was, it's the Inflation Reduction Act. Our electric uh, school buses, which are costly, electric vehicles generally are more costly. Is that really going to be the right uh, solution to inflation? It is that kind of logic that is changing the political calculations all over.